I am unashamed. What about you? So welcome back to Unashamed. I'm still down here at the uh, Southern Lair. Got a house full of grandkids. Been doing a little bit of fishing down here, Jace, but it's terrible fishing. It's just the water's not right. The it's too hot. There's too many people down here. It's well, I'm it's glad. not like it is back in May. I'm glad you're back fishing. into fishing. I mean, well, you know, it's funny because like one of my good friends down here used to be a boat captain, and he loves to fish. He does kayaking, uh, guide fishing now, and so he's got all the equipment. So I don't necessarily have to always keep up with equipment. So. I can just kind of go along for the ride. And then my grandson, Corby, uh, has taken a shine to fish him. And so, you know, your grandkids tend to have a way into your heart. So I I always say that the reason I I quit fishing was because of my early experiences of my childhood and teenage years when fishing was work, uh, commercial fishing. And so it kind of just jaded my uh, appreciation for it, but I've kind of, I've kind of, I've kind of recaptured some of that. So I'm not blaming you, Dad. I'm just saying that's how we grew up. It was a lot of work. You know, it wasn't anything glamorous about commercial fishing. No. Well, it all comes down to the fight or the table fare. So for me, you know, I like to catch Opelousas cat and crappie because I like to eat them. Yep. I mean, I, I'd love to have some right now. But I also like a good fight. So I like the redfish for that. Uh, I enjoyed that trout experience. You know, I'm looking for ways to do that. I mean, they, they fight, especially on a fly rod. Yeah. It's, uh, and a lot of the things we're doing on our TV show, we're just in areas where we're looking for what we're going to eat tonight, you know, because it's kind yeah. of a camp out situation. So you tend to appreciate the skills that we developed in fishing. Because these, you know, these TV people, you'll show up down there on the bank, and they're like, okay, we're ready for y'all to catch some fish. Yeah. I'm like, like, like it's just, yeah. I'm just going to pull that. Out. I was like, look, it, it's called fishing. Yeah. They're like, yeah, but we need to get, you know, a couple on camera. Yeah. But I'll have to admit, every time that we uh, seem to go on these ventures, we're successful. I don't know if it's luck, if the Lord's looking out for us, or it just... So it's it's been nice, but at one time what we did in the fishing world was uh, brutal. I mean, it was if you do it for a living, Chase takes the fun out of it. it, it no fun. In fact, I don't even fish with a rod and reel. Once you get through commercial fishing, you you, you won't fool with that. Yeah, place. I mean, I just do it to impress my wife now. Like she's like, oh, I need to go to the grocery <laughs> store, and I'm like, how about I go catch some dinner? You know. So then it's a challenge, and but uh, I remember that. You know the idea you had about about crawfishing, and because Willie was right when we were doing all this promotion for your movie coming out. I guess since Zach's not here, I'll give him the promotion. The blind, the blind coming to a theater near you sometime in September. But he, we when we were talking about that, Willie made a good point. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but he was like. You know, you you are you're the type of person that whatever you're doing, you just go all in on. It's like back in your drinking days and all that. You're like, well, let's let's lease a bar and sell. You know, this is because that's just what you were into. Mm-hmm. And so then when you came down here, the commercial fishing, it was quite the operation. I mean, you went all in on the duck calls and the, and the fishing. But I remember that crawfish because who doesn't like a crawfish? So you're like. We went from catching crawfish to let's just get in the crawfish business. Yep. And look, it was the most fun I've ever had for about two weeks. That's Remember, right. we were eating crawfish every day. That's right. We were making money, and we had 500 traps. But we started running them twice a day, and we were we were catching the bait. And it was it just the times that we were working kept getting earlier when it started and later when it ended. Yeah. And my hands were starting to get nicked and cut and various things. And then things would get in there and it would get infected. We all wound up going to the hospital and getting <laughs> blood poisoning. And then I was like, you know what? I don't care if I ever eat another crawfish. <laughs> it was too much. When you do quick. it for a living, you, yeah. my hat is off to all of, my, of our friends south of us 
on yeah. the coast down up in there. I, my my hat's off to them because it's a lot of work. It does, but now I, I mean I still love to eat crawfish, but it is a workhouse if you want to get into doing that for. Well, a we were having to sell them. Remember, Jay's? I mean, you also had to create a market for them because like people buy them, but then you got to have somebody willing to be your storefront. Well, exactly. And so we we were going around. We had the we had you and Curly Don, as I recall, were down. Y'all were the catching the crawfish, but the mm-hmm. rest of us and I was already working for the church. But then I became part of your retail arm because I went to every grocery store in our area and was asking them if they would sell. And so we we finally got Super One, which is kind of an offshoot of Brookshire's. Yep. And they were they agreed to sell them. And so what they did was I thought it was pretty uh, inventive. They put a big Tom, I mean, a big uh, John boat in the back of their store in their meat department. I mean, it was about a 12 foot boat. And then we would sell the crawfish to them and they would just pour those live crawfish in that boat. Yep. And they were just crawling around all over the place and they were selling them like crazy. Cause I mean, yeah. it was a unique experience. You know, you could walk back there and actually just pick them out of that boat, put them in a bag and buy them live. It was no, cool. that, that was a good idea. Cause it was actually a good marketing ploy for yeah. them. So I didn't even know. Hey, trying I, to make a trying to make a book. I was yeah. on the back end of it. Yeah, that was my role was to try to find some places that would sell it, and so it was a full operation. But you're right, Jay. It gets old after a while because it's like it well, turns it was into so fast. much fun. We're like, well, we're we're making money. We we ate crawfish every day. Remember that the, the fun factor, having fun, <laughs> left pretty quick. It did. It left quick. <laughs> I mean, we stayed with it. I guess almost a year, but yep. It just wasn't fun after the first two weeks. It just got it was it was a it's a rough way to make a dollar. But I think we were getting forty dollars a sack. They were forty pound sacks, and I think we were getting a dollar a pound uh, for the for the crawfish, mm-hmm. if I recall right. And then they were selling them for whatever their markup was. Um, but you know, again, same with area. And after a while, you kind of saturate the market, and you know, then people have had enough crawfish, and then what are you going to do? So yeah, it's we, kind of the same. We began to, to trace it back to, to the river itself, catching the fish in the river instead of crawfish and the bait you had to have every day. And yeah, they didn't have artificial bait like they have now, you know. And it was just whatever varmint. Well, they had it. It just wasn't. It just wasn't. Wasn't as good. And then cost you had, effective. Yeah, you know, and it was expensive. So I mean, yeah. there you go. So. But yeah, look, we're talking about dollar a pound. You don't have a lot of room for error here, you know. It's nope. in terms of money the, making. The uh, the whole reason that was worth it though is because in that process, y'all developed all those recipes that we now still engage in. You know, yep. from the all gratins to the etouffee to the crawfish pies to oh, the, oh yeah. Remember, it was like it was it was literally the the scene from Forrest Gump where the guy was talking about how many ways to <laughs> eat the a shrimp. shrimp. That's right. We ate those things every day. Remember? Yeah. I mean, you would yeah. you would go in there and, and get boil some water because a, a crawfish is hard to peel if he's just in the wild. But if you just put a little hot water, not not enough to boil him, but just to make that meat kind of sure. puff up, they're way easier to peel. Yeah. And so you, maybe you'd pour it over and we'd start peeling them. Because you got to peel them anyway to eat them, whether you bowl them to eat or put them in the it dishes. It was feeding us as well as the ones we were catching far out, you know, up for, for sale right. on the market. We ate them every day. I bet you we ate those every day yeah, for, we did. for two or three months. Yep. And uh, remember that little squash recipe you come up, you took some, because you had a garden out there. I don't know if you remember that. And you took, you saw those squash and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to come up with something involving the crawfish and the squash. It, do you remember that? I don't remember it. Yeah, it was so a. You, craw- I remember it. It was a crawfish succotash, is what if if you were putting a name on it, because Dad had some some uh, squash in there, a little bit of tomato and some other stuff out of the garden, and then you threw them crawfish in on top of it, and it was delicious. It was a yeah. Really and I good, think it was like a sautéed in butter with with your typical yeah. suspects of onion, garlic, bell pepper, yeah, and you yeah, cooked it. Yeah. Down. It was one of the greatest things I've ever eaten. I hate crawfish you. are a fine eating thing. They yeah. they they they're good. Well, they're really a good. fresh crawfish is the best thing. You so now if you go buy a packaged crawfish bag, which who knows where it came from and how long it's been there. Yeah. When you use that for etouffee, well, that's going to be not near as good 
is if you just went and caught the crawfish, peeled them on the spot, and put them in the dish. They're like just plump morsels that melt in your mouth with zero gaminess or wildness to it. That's it. Uh, yeah, you're crawfish, right. He's an ugly, ugly looking creature, but but uh, well, so is a blue crab. But the I landscape mean. over there where we just made us a big <laughs> duck hole, and it's about thirty acre field. We cleared it out where we could get a boat in there. When the water fell out this year, about a month ago, month and a half, the water finally receded. We're draining it. As the water was draining out, the crawfish started digging in. I was shocked how many crawfish was out there. I mean, it was poundage. Yeah. So we've got a good place to crawfish because we we got some territory that's just solid crawfish, holes in the ground, little mounds about six inches tall, four to six inches tall, little mounds the dirt they all go down in that hole about 15 females and one male he breeds them all and they come back out in the fall when the water the fall rains start they all start coming out little bitty crawfish two three hundred per per female crawfish hundreds coming out of and they got about 12 15 of them in the ground also we we got the right kind of territory to raise this crawfish most people wouldn't even recognize it but it's a lot of good food coming up out there out of the ground. Hey. Yeah, it's, and and even just for enjoyment, you're exactly right. So I, that sounds like we got some, some crawfish dishes coming this fall. Is that what, is that what I'm hearing, Dad? You, you got it. Yep. All the good things from fall. That's good. Well, anything else happening around there before we get into our Bible study today? Oh, we have no I... We have no oh. Zach today. He's probably doing movie business. He's a... He's a mogul these days, so he's not always with us. But we have a little we war going going on with the the uh, the water draining out as it is. The beavers are taking advantage of that advantage, and they're trying to keep the water in over there, and we're trying to get it out. And we're getting just enough rain where every time we drain it, the, 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 here comes the beavers. They they block it off. We have to find out where they block it off. Open it back up. Draining the water. We're draining the duck water of this past winter right now. And well, uh, who's going to win is the important question. Well, we you, you know we started out. I just had a a contraption with some prongs on the end of it, and I'd do it by hand. But the beavers are building such large beaver dams. People have to remember the largest animal-made structure on planet Earth. It's a beaver dam in Alberta, Canada, that's over a mile long. It's you look at it from the, from the satellite. They can you see it from down, the space station. It's, yeah, it's a mile long dam that uh, beavers about that long put that together and dammed it all up. It's it's a mile long and twenty feet deep out there on the middle of it. I mean, they they have done a pull the feet off. Well, that's just a warm-up of what we deal with every year. It, they, they just block it off, mud and logs. we got to clean it all out. Now we got a track hole that we just reach out there, rake it a couple places. It starts flowing again. The beavers will stop it back up. We'll go back the next day or two, open it up again. Then we find another one. They get off of that one. They get on another one. It's a it's a job. That's what happens. Hard work. In, in your seventies, you start working smarter, not harder. That's right. <laughs> That's, call, I like the call way call in some equipment. Yeah. <laughs> I like the way he started. Was I used to do it by hand, but now it's somebody in a traco. That's that's because yeah. Dad, the beavers are getting younger, but not you. You don't want to tear up the landscapes too much, so we're just doing it. The beavers build the dams. We break them, and that's the way we're doing it. We're not harming the beavers any. We're just just undoing what they're doing. So, yeah. so at what point did you say, we're going to need a bigger rake? The point when I looked at the beaver dams, and they were like, instead of a mile long, they'd be about 50 yards wide. You leave them alone. It can turn into one that's a mile long, yeah. up to eight or ten <laughs> feet thick. I mean, if you looked at that one in the Alberta, Canada, you can just get on the internet and look. You can find it. That thing's over a mile long. It's the largest beaver dam in the world. It is pretty amazing, Dad, that the the Almighty put a natural engineering instinct 
into the small mind of a beaver. What part you know, of salt people- water made that beaver? <laughs> That's right. Get out, get it, out of my face with it. it uh-uh. Salt it water didn't make to, us or the beavers. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of engineering principles are based on beavers. So we're all gun owners here, proud Second Amendment supporters. And uh, one of the things you understand, whether it's hunting or shooting or whatever you like about your gun, I think, Jay's probably the most important thing is it's got to work properly to be effective. Is that a is that a fair statement to make? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a ritual with me. Once hunting season begins, which is not real popular with my wife, because I break down my weapons Yeah. On the kitchen counter, usually, you know, but I'm doing it at, you know. You need a bro- you need a nice broad workspace to be able to do that. I get it. The house becomes a carpenter shop. She only says one word every time. Really? <laughs> so uh, what Jace is referring to, of course, is making sure your gun is clean uh, so that it'll function and work properly. And, and when you're in the field, you are constantly running into things that get into your barrel, into the action of your gun. So one of our sponsors, uh, some guys we really love, is a group called Barrel Buddy, and we've talked about them before. They basically make sure that your barrel is clean. Uh, They have, no matter what you're shooting, whether it's pistols, rifles, for us it's mostly shotguns, uh, which is what we use. And so their process of having these uh, polymers that go through your barrel, uh, make sure it doesn't leave anything behind. Some of the old systems didn't have a good system at all. So uh, they've come up with a great way to clean your gun, and so we highly recommend them. Check them out at BarrelBuddy.com, B-A-R-R-E-L Buddy, BarrelBuddy.com. All right, so we, um, we're we in Luke chapter 7, and Jace, we're going to go back. We've actually, we finished the chapter, uh, but we left a section out. And so we're going to go back today and maybe the next podcast as well and, uh, and catch this section that we, that we skipped over. And the reason we skipped over it is because we kind of had this theme going, Luke did, uh, when he wrote this, about these, what I, I've been calling undesirables. That's not a biblical term. That's just what I tagged it. And these were people that Jesus was interacting with. Same thing back in Luke 5. It was a leper, a paralytic, and a tax collector. Now it's a Roman centurion servant. Um, It's a widow and her dead son, and Jesus raised him from the dead. And it's this, what we call the town prostitute, this woman, at the end of Luke 7. And in all these cases, Jesus shows us that he's willing to interact where other people uh, or maybe not so much to step in. And so we kind of covered those three different because sections. Al, the point he's making is that other people, they can't do what he's doing. Yeah, Only the point. king can, can do what he's doing. Yeah. He's a king, but nobody knows it yet. We're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, where Luke's looking at the, the kingdom as it's beginning to form, how it functions and 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 uh, what, what the people inside, the, the the ones that are under the king, then uh, and then pay allegiance to him in all things. So you have a king without an army of weaponry, firepower, just word of mouth. Jesus came in flesh, died, was buried, and raised from the dead. That's all right here at the. When it starts, starts in the book of Acts. But all the warnings and all the things that the king can do, it's just mind-boggling. It's a, it's enough for me to say, I'm with him. I'm with that one right there. Dad, that is an excellent segue into this section that we're going to go back and pick up because I, I and there's you know there's a lot of questions about this section, but I'll just say this before we get into it, start reading it, that John the Baptist is going to ask the questions that you're talking about. Really, he's saying, right. is this really, are, are you really the one? Even are you John really? the Baptist was stunned by him. No, it's quite a question, though, when he said, are you really the one? Yeah. Well, but he didn't just leave it there. Or is someone else? Or should we be looking for someone else? Because the implication of that is really what's at the heart of every man and woman, which is we... uh we need or we desire 
someone, the one. I mean, when you look at it in a romantic con- context, you know, I mean, when I was in the dating world, it's like, is she the one? You know, it, we just have that in our mind. Well, when you think about, is there a creator? Uh, what am I going to give my life for? It, it's a it's a real sobering question. Are you the one? I, I love I love the way it's phrased because everyone has to ask themselves that about Jesus at some point in their life. Jace, forty different times, forty. If you go in your concordance and look up mystery, it's used forty times from Daniel, which is just a leap back. Daniel said all this is going to happen in the future. Well, he was a thousand miles out. Going down to the Old Testament, the Old Testament's fixing to end right after him after a while. But then you say, good night, let's see. Uh, Who else was there? Well, if you start and you look, it goes from Daniel over to Romans. When he arrives, he dies, he's buried, he's raised. We're reading before he died, before he was buried, before he was raised. We're right at it. The kingdom is at hand, but it's mentioned 40-something times, and it's described, the kingdom is, and Jesus, as a mystery. As a, They're wondering, is he the one? Is he, is he the one? So you could say he, he came as a person who was called Mr. Mysterious. Mysterious, <laughs> 40-something times when it comes down to the gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection. 40 different times it's mentioned, it's mentioned, it's mentioned. And it really gets thick when you get into Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians is a great place, Colossians. Just look up your concordance, look up mystery, 1 Timothy, and you'll find what we're reading in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're in Luke. But they're all saying the same thing, Al. It's amazing that they're saying the same thing from about a thousand different angles. Is he the one? And you end up with saying, he's the one. He proves well, it by his resurrection. Yeah. Well, some people. I mean, some people. Oh. He's not. And they. I know it. You know, it, it's like uh, the irony of, of it was uh, Hillary Clinton. Remember when she called the Republicans, or, or I don't remember when she said this, but she called the people who cling to their guns and pray to their God as the basket of deplorables. Yeah. It was during uh, the 2016 you, election. Yeah. Yeah. You made me think of that when you called these the untouchables, but actually by her doing that, because you know, deplorable, if you look up the definition, you know, it has something of, of to do with condemnation. You're, you're saying they That's should right. be condemned for doing this, but there those of us who are in that camp, it's it's actually when you read about who we have our faith in, because this this ultimately comes back to a person, which is why I love this question. Are you yep. the one? Well it's a person who's saying he's for everybody. And for her even making that statement, she's saying, well there's some groups of people who are not worthy to be in our camp, and and That's right. so the same thing you're accusing someone else from uh, about is what you're displaying in that statement. <laughs> That's right, because because you know the list of things. Oh, they're racist or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I just found that interesting. That that's the difference in Jesus and other religious leaders or political people or other kings. Is he saying this is for everyone? Yeah. I mean, it's for everyone. And Jew or Gentile. He, and he didn't come. Really, the debate's going to be, because there's a lot of things in this section that are kind of hard to wrap your head around, especially in Matthew's account of it. It's like he's not coming in a kingdom that's like other kingdoms. I mean, it has nothing in common with it. and In, in fact, it's the exact opposite. So this is more him coming in weakness, what we we consider weakness, uh, you know, being poor in spirit. And I mean, what does that mean? You know, you're you're spiritually bankrupt, and he's calling the 
you know, the poor, the lame, the, and that was, that's going to be his message in this. When everyone else is thinking when a kingdom comes, that this is about power, destruction, manifestos, and it's like... Uh, but just, some Jew and Gentile, it's explained, Romans 20, Romans 11, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not become conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Oh, there's all that Jewish throng that gathered up against Jesus. And he, it ends up that 28, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He returned godlessness away from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel's concerned, they're enemies on your account. They're, they're the ones who crucified Jesus, trying to get rid of him. You read that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. So there's a remnant coming in there. That for God's gift and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. They said, crucify him. We all are Gentiles looking at it. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they may now receive mercy as a result. God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men to disobedience, but that he may have mercy on them all. So Jew or Gentile, that brings us all together under one head. Mm -hmm. Jesus and it's, and it's a wild story the way it got done. I mean, they're the ones that killed him, the most religious people on earth, chief priests, no. teachers of the law. They're the ones that killed him. But not, not, not even understanding that they were going to be made, as Peter would put it, when they said, what do we do? He said, you need to turn to Jesus, repent, be baptized. God will give you his spirit. It's for all men. So it's a, it's a wild story, Al. So imagine that you have a sudden need uh, for basic but critical medication and you find out that what you need is not available or out of stock. Be a bad feeling, right? Could be because it comes from China, uh, which unfortunately makes a lot of antibiotics uh, for the U.S. and other countries. Uh, it could be, you know, supply chain issues. There could be a lot of issues as to why you can't get your hands on medicine. One thing we know for sure, when you need it, you need it for your family. And so that's why our friends at Jace Medical, not our Jace, but Jace Medical, uh, have a what they call a Jace case. It's a pack of five different uh, courses of antibiotics that you can use to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, a lot more. Uh, we've talked about all the different needs. I've been in so many other countries doing mission trips when I wish so much I'd had something like this. So it could be a lot of reasons why you need it. Uh, but it's a great way to be ready for shortages, perfect for traveling, helps you stay prepared. Jay's case is the great thing to have on hand in case events in the world shift in the wrong direction. So check them out. Go to jacemedical.com, enter the code unashamed at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code unashamed at J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. And to your point, Jace, I, I think I think that's a great illustration you use because the very thing once you experience Jesus, like these people have that we've been reading about, once you experience Him, the very things that others will look down on you as a deplorable, like in the last story you had with Simon looking down on this woman and Jesus, because he's like, if this guy was a prophet, I mean, surely he would know what kind of woman he's allowed to touch him. Yeah, But you wear those things as a badge of honor. When that woman left there that night, when Jesus told her her sins were forgiven, I mean, she left there on cloud nine. So you were talking about someone's calling you a deplorable because you cling to your gun and your Bible. You're just like, that's two of the most important things I have. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. both help me fight battles. <laughs> she got Physical it wrong. And spiritual. She got it wrong. Well, yeah. But I'm saying her point was because you're alienating other groups of people. And I'm like, well, didn't you just alienate all those people? Isn't that the same principle? And that's what 
that's what I was getting to. I don't know who that famous king was that went in and he's like, there's, he conquered a city and there was a quote and he said, you know, they asked him who was left and he's like, well, those who are a member of my kingdom and those who are dead. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, that's what real kings do in real kingdoms. You know, and you, how many movies have you seen? They go, you take out anyone who's not with you. You strike them down, and then everybody left. They better at least say they say they're with you. And so that's why it's so strange with Jesus. I mean, in the next chapter, he's going to do a whole parable about just listening. I mean, really, we call it the parable of the sower, but it's it's just about hearing and listening. Well, what kind of leader is doing something about that? That's the exact opposite. You know, being open minded is that'll get you dead in other people's kingdom. Yep. You, you comply, <laughs> you are coerced, or you die. There's no middle ground. It's not yep. really freedom like that. And so you're seeing that. That's why this is uncomfortable for people to read, because in one breath, what we're fixed to read, he says, John the Baptist, greatest man born of a woman, but he also you see that John the Baptist is asking the question, well, are you the one? Well, what kind of question is that? That's showing that he has doubts here. And it shows yeah. you it is a mystery. Yeah, but I, I think it was, too, a sign that he was doubting his cousin. I mean, he, it's his cousin. He's This guy's been straight as an arrow living in the woods preaching about God's judgment and you know he's compared to Elijah in this and uh, I did a little you know you'd uh, think God would put them together and say now y'all get this thing right before he no he just let it unfold well I, I think now look I could be wrong y'all can y'all can take me to task if you want but it seems like to me John is like well if you're the one how come I'm sitting in this prison that's exactly <laughs> it I mean that's it and, and I think look with that fundamental thought is really a, a danger in our churches today because it's like, you know, I, I mean, I can't think of an illustration that depicts it, but it's, you know, it's almost like you're, you know, when you accept Jesus, you're like, well, I got a cat, you know, a new cat that I'm going to bring it to my house and put it in the corner. And, and it's like, as long as I'm doing good and feeling good and I can get something out of this, then I'm going to go along. But if something goes wrong, and that's the biggest probably excuse on why people don't want to follow Jesus, because they're like, well, why is this happening to me? If God is for me, you know, how come I lost my job or how come I got sick? Welcome to a sinful world. Yeah, but I just, I, I think... Don't you, Al, in this context? I think you totally nailed it. I mean, it's exactly what I think is going on, the heart of this whole story, which really should make us feel good because of going through tough circumstance. But is this shows you the power of circumstance and persecution. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they are both super strong. And so I, I think you're right. I mean, you just think about this. John the Baptist not only was he, remember he had the Holy Spirit in the womb that he was set aside for this task, but he yeah. also was there and baptized Jesus reluctantly and heard and saw the voice of God and the Holy Spirit of God, like a dove, it says, descending on Jesus. So you think if anybody had an ironclad, never going to doubt, never going to question anything, it would be him. But it shows you the power of once you have a visual in your mind of what it's supposed to be, and then you're going through a really rough time yourself, of how powerful that is that you have to deal with that. I mean, he yeah. was he was struggling with being sitting there waiting for them to cut his head off. I mean, and who wouldn't? I mean, it really is right. the most human of factors to me. Well, that's why I think Jesus's analogy, which is hard for you to wrap your head around when he said, so there's no greater human born from a woman than John the Baptist. But then he says, but he who is in the kingdom is least, least in the least in the kingdom is greater than he. So now I've heard a lot of people try to explain this. My take is just to give an overview of this before we read it, I guess, is uh 
even though John the Baptist was really close to this kingdom, he was preparing the way and he, he was preaching, repent for the kingdom is near. I think Jesus's point was he didn't get to experience it with the Holy Spirit being made available. Jesus understanding Jesus, the king dying for the sins of the world, being buried, right? Even though he heard, heard that, he didn't get to experience being part of it. Yep. So as we believe, now look, other people disagree with us, but we believe that the when Jesus died and was buried and raised and the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2, that was that was when the kingdom arrived. That is correct. The kingdom on earth. Now, granted, we all agree that one day this will be completely fulfilled when Jesus comes back and we we get to experience this kingdom of whatever that is for eternity together. But when they were saying it was near, and, and statements like this is what I'm saying, support that. Because what else could Jesus have meant? How, how could you say in one breath, because this guy was a great man. He was a prophet. He wasn't out there cutting up, but we all know that all men sin. So he, he, he sounded like everybody else. And he was being led by the Spirit, and whether it was in a different way of it being on him rather than, you know, in him, who's to know? I don't know exactly what the details were. But for Jesus to make that statement, he was saying there's there's something fixing to happen, and you can be a part of it. Plus, Jesus, in fact, was and still is God, but John the Baptist never was. Well, right. But he what I'm saying is when he you read, God. When we're going to get to Luke 17, 20 and 21, and I'll introduce it now because it's a very important verse. It says... Before you read that, Jay, before you read that, let's take another break. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, uh, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you, within people. And then Mark 9, 1 says, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Well, he's got to be talking about something, because they were all standing there, and you're not going to die before you see it, and they're all dead. And it's not going to come with your careful observation or visibly, like some translation says. It's not, there's not a power structure that's going to move across the earth with swords and say, we're, we're now in control. So I think when John the Baptist asked him that, or sent the two messengers, that are you the one to come? I, I noticed something I think you're going to find fascinating. That in John's version of it, watch how many times, this is in John 3, watch how many times John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the one. This is John 3 and verse, you remember the conversation they had, Al, in 27? They were arguing about, you know, who's going to be doing the baptizing and who's more important. And when 27, just to give you the context, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven, which is a great bumper sticker. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I was sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, the, which is an obvious picture that Jesus is the head of the church and yep. we're married to him. The friend yep. who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, which is why I brought up that about listening. And it's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less, which is all great. But it makes you also remember what happened to this. When he got in prison years later, he's lost this, he's lost this tenacity that he had right here. But watch what he says. Here it is. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one can accept his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. Here it is again. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God 
for God gives the Spirit without limit, which is another good bumper sticker. Yep. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So there was a couple reasons I read that. One is to say, at this time, he thought, well, he is the one, and he's, he's sharing accurately with power who Jesus is. The circumstances change. He's in prison. He thought this was going to be a more violent or uh, forceful occurrence with Jesus being in control. But now he is under the oppression of people that oppose him. You know, and, and we all know what happened. You know the details. So when he, he rebukes the king for marrying his, uh, who, who was it to him? His brother's wife, maybe? C- correct. Yeah. And he rebuked John the Baptist for rebuking him. And by him. the way, she was just, you know, she was also a niece to both men because they were brothers. So, I mean, yeah, it's about as twisted as you, you're going to get the situation. And it and it broke the law. It broke the law in Leviticus about how they were supposed to do it. This is one of the original Herod that was after Jesus. It was one of his four sons, two of his four sons. That's who's involved here. So, so really this creates a question now. So in Matthew's account, in Matthew 11, I think one of the top five confusing verses are in there, and I think this is a perfect time to address it because we went through Matthew, but we really didn't talk about this because I, you know, it's hard to explain. But in Matthew's version, he says in verse 11, this is the statement we're going to get to in Luke, when he says, Among these born of women, there is none risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And I told you what I thought. I thought yep. he's meant, he meant, even though he was this close, he prepared the way, he was the forerunner, he didn't get to participate in the actual kingdom coming as far as the Spirit being poured out and all that, and having that community. In fact, in fact it's funny, Joe, you said that. Uh, let's take our last break. It's funny you said that because I hadn't thought about this. You just made that statement. It's a lot like Moses was with the first covenant. You know, Moses took them right up to the point, and then God said, no, you're going to wait here while they go yeah. in, and you don't get to see it. And in a, in a sense, that's exactly what happens with John yeah, the Baptist, really which, is. Is, hmm. which is interesting. Great, I hadn't really thought about point. that. So in yeah. verse 12, I don't see how else he could make the statement was my point. For yeah. years, I never understood what that meant. I thought, right. Well, nobody I've met in the kingdom is better than John the Baptist. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what was he talking about? Yeah. But I, I, I think I'm right on this. You know that that's that's what he was said. This is so you don't understand what you've actually prepared here. That this is almost beyond your imagination. Yeah, I'm actually your king is going to give his life for you, not you giving your life for the king. That's right. I mean, which is the total opposite. This I'm gonna yeah, I'm down. gonna figure out a way for the creator of the universe to actually get inside your body and help you with your thoughts and decisions and make you know being wise. I mean, it, it was it was just I'm gonna show you that look, you want a kingdom tactic? The people with me, they're indestructible. It it's so far beyond normal uh just what happens in kingdoms and them fighting with each other. I mean, you just think if a king figured oh. out a way that you couldn't be killed. And their the wor- He would take over the world in five... Their collapses come early. All right. But if you figured that out, you'd take over the world in five minutes. You know, if, you're, right. if your soldiers were incapable, that's why there's been thousands of movies uh, about this. Oh, they figured out something. The ultimate warrior. He can't die. Well, what happens? Well, they just take over the world immediately until they meet somebody else that can't die. And then you get into these stupid movies where... Then you're into the immortals. Yeah. (laughs) They can't die unless they get close to kryptonite. And they're like, what is kryptonite? (laughs) Well, we made it up. So they made the whole thing up. So verse 12 says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, and here's, here's the controversial verse. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. Now, other translations say violent, uh, 
and so you're like, well, what does that mean? And what I propose is that that was part of the problem John the Baptist had. He thought we're 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 gonna take over, you know, violently with force, and Jesus is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, and he's gonna free us from the oppression. And so they're going around preaching judgment, just like Elijah did, because he said in the spirit of Elijah, which Elijah had a lot in common with John the Baptist. They, he was he was a wilderness guy. I mean, you remember there's yep. a story somewhere in First Kings where ravens were coming up and feeding him. I mean, he was literally living in the forest and had befriended the ravens, and they were getting his food. John the Baptist is eating locusts and and honey, and they're preaching judgment, and they're they're. They've had run-ins with uh, bad queens. I mean, Jezebel and Elijah. Yep. And they have. And it, yep. I mean, it, it's almost, that's why he was in the, the spirit of this. So either like some people believe this is spiritual violence where it's like her spiritual force, where it's like a play on words, where it's advancing, even though it doesn't look like it. Because it's not because Jesus is doing all this about blessed are the poor, blessed when you're weak, and we're not. This is not armed men going around. We know it's not physical no. violence, but before the kingdom came, every way, every person up until Jesus reveals the kingdom through His death, burial, resurrection, the Spirit pouring out, it was going around with a preaching of judgment, and that this this one who is going to end all oppression is coming. So either way, I think John the Baptist had the wrong view in this moment of exactly what the kingdom was going to look like. And it made him doubt the king because he's in prison. He's like, aren't, aren't, aren't you supposed to free me from this? I mean, aren't we supposed to take these guys out at some point? And so I think they were forcefully advancing and taking all these risks because they knew this, there's one coming that's going to take care of all this. I mean, I'm willing to do whatever. Or what do you think? Or do you think it is a spiritual? It's one of two choices. It's either a spiritual thing where you're as, as people are physically violent we're spiritually violent in a positive way. It's like we're radically into this. I mean, which do you think it is? No, I think your first assessment is exactly what I think. And I think the proof of it is in the reaction of the disciples throughout the whole process. I mean, right up until the time Jesus left, they were still questioning the kingdom. And he's already resurrected. And they still didn't quite get it. You know, there until was after some he was still gone. doubting the whole process. Yeah, they remember when it said that they, they they saw him resurrected, and yet some of them still doubted. So doubted. I, I, I think a couple of things about this, Jason. We're going to talk more about this in the overtime because we're almost out of time. But I, I think you're exactly on to what happened. I think John the Baptist, as great a man as he was, and mm-hmm. as an amazing a role as he played, he didn't quite understand. Just like all the other Jews. I mean, did anybody understand fully? No, except for Jesus, Mm -hmm. that he missed what it was ultimately about. I think he wasn't afraid of going into the king's prison because he thought exactly what you said, that whenever Jesus got ready to take over, he would be he would be brought out and he would have some role in the kingdom, just like the 12 thought that their role was to sit on Jesus right and left. So I, I think you're right. I think the underlying thing in the entire um, time Jesus was here was not quite understanding what it meant by the kingdom, which does make that yeah. statement that the least in the kingdom is greater than him make perfect sense. Because in an upside-down, servant-led kingdom, that's exactly what you're going to see. And look, they can take yeah. your head. But they can't take your soul, which is Jesus' whole point. Plus the Apostle Paul and the other writers, Peter finally got it. But that's why it's said to be a mystery. Well, right. But he does give us some some insight into the mystery because I wanted to get this in the main podcast. Because by his response, which we'll talk about in part two of this, you know, when Jesus says, go back and report to John, this is uh, 722 of Luke what you have seen and heard and and of all things to say the blind receive sight the lame walk those who have leprosy are cured the deaf hear 
the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor and blessed is the man who doesn't take offense or fall away on account of me, which I think, you know, he was talking to John. He was, and, so he, and that's he a hard gave, thing to say. <laughs> it, it, it gave, he gave the same message of what we've been reading, which is why we did the untouchables slash deplorables, however you want to say it, first. Because the bottom line is we're all deplorable and untouchable exactly. in our own workings, everybody. And so he, but he give, gave him a hidden message in there which is the dead are raised. Why would you tell a man who's in prison, who's fixed to die, the dead are raised? That's it. And it's the exact opposite of what John the Baptist thought this was going to be about. We're, we're going to take these people who locked me up. We fixed to get them. And Jesus gives him a comforting message. No, we're going we're gonna to call everybody from the lowest to the weakest based on my power. And, oh, by the way, the dead are raised. I mean, I think there's a subtle message there to John the Baptist. You take yep. comfort where this is not going to work out like you thought. And 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 it Jesus was right. He got his head cut off. But guess what? The dead are raised. If if Jesus has that power, you you win. And so even today the same people that don't understand why their life is not great because they're having trust in Jesus, you you need to read what he wrote John the Baptist. That's this right. is a being no. who has this kind of power. That's it. And in fact, that's one of the P's I applied to what you just read, Jay's. He reminds him it's about power, which I still have, even though I know you're questioning. It's about people, because that's who he's doing all this stuff for. That's what the kingdom is going to be about, people. And then it's about preaching, because he says they preach the good news. And that's exactly what John had been doing up until this moment of doubt. So in the overtime, I want to talk about that, because... Since doubt is here, we always assume doubt is the worst. But in, since John the Baptist is the one doing the doubting, maybe it's not as bad as we thought it was. So let's talk about that as we continue to set this text up before we get to the next Unashamed podcast where we're going to break that down. So if you want to follow us over, blazetv.com slash unashamed is where you get our overtime content. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.